Ils sont terribles ici, avec leur manie de trancher la tête des gens. Ce qui m'étonne, c'est qu'il puisse encore y avoir des survivants. This, you know, I think you could put the metronome on in Audacity. Maybe I should put that on while we record, just so I could keep on the right tempo. Yeah, know? I wonder what tempo our <laughs> podcast is at. Damn. Hot 140, hot club Damn. track. Damn, I thought you were going to go like 90, like uh, boom bap, you know, New York boom City bap. underground hip hop. True, we got to slow the beat down so we could speak that real. That's true. <laughs> we got to speak knowledge like Godard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Godard, Godard's definitely, uh, he would only listen to backpacker rappers. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of you know, what rap Godard would like. <laughs> kind of a, it's a strange concept a strange thing yeah. to think about yeah well all my options are terrible it's like all like mashup kind of stuff <laughs> the hood internet do you remember yeah, that oh god do you remember the hood internet wow the what a low internet. point in postmodern culture mashup culture mashup culture and parody songs were both hot around the same time that means something people could people people could look into that and find more meaning than i can okay okay i think i think that's i think that's a thread to pull out you know okay well parody songs have always been around though you can go all the way back to the 30s listen to like shaving cream but then we started making them you know the common okay. man well i guess it's more of a novelty song them. the common man <laughs> took back the parody song from people like benny bell the yeah. the The, Benny Bell. the elites of the novelty song Weird Al, <laughs> Benny Bell I was gonna say well, listeners who don't know Benny Bell's Shaving Cream one of the greatest songs ever made I'm not familiar, I was gonna say you wait, know wait, the wait, 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 Eddie, did you just say for the listeners at home? <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's, yeah we're full it's true, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> they're home they're home No, we're stay inside we're still we're still sick <laughs> it was more of a political phrasing folks folks okay. wear a mask yeah uh, yes. come on man come on we're too <laughs> you know what we're actually here to talk about though is notre musique the 2004 film by jean-luc godard but before we get into it i wanted to say welcome to our guest a returning guest if you heard the main feed oh god <coughs> Oh. <laughs> that is almost uneditable. <laughs> Just bleep it out. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's after oh, hours, awesome. baby. <laughs> so, uh, a guest to the after hours feed is kind of a rare occasion. And uh, so I thought I'd extend the clip, reach out the olive branch, and uh, invite Seamus on the show. You know, Seamus, he, he reports on stuff that's going on in the Mideast. This film takes place in Sarajevo. Jean-Luc Godard has always been very involved. You know, in, in his 2018 film, uh, The Image Book, he even poses the question, can the Arabs speak? Now, this is a very controversial question. <laughs> <laughs> What does he mean by that? What does yeah, he mean by uh, that? Apparently, that was asked by someone else, though, because I read it and I already forgot what the fucking text was. But that's the thing with Lake Godard is it's essentially all quotations. And the credits of his films, it's like there's a few actors and then it's just people that he quoted throughout and music that he used, uh, which is, you know, respect that you're able to craft any kind of movie out of that. But this one in particular, uh, it's split into three segments with a kind of cold open prelude that I'll get to, but it's split into the three kingdoms of hell and purgatory. And uh, is the third one called heaven or afterlife? Something like it's that. Paradise. It's paradise. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, paradise. Oh, right. Yeah, yes. paradise. Yeah. Uh, some people have read some book, some guy, Dante, some old timey comedian. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently that's the model for it. But anyway, Uh, th this film has these three segments. The first one, Hell, being this rapid montage of both atrocities that were documented and uh, films that depicted uh, atrocities and violence and just a cavalcade of images, not unlike his recent film, The Image Book. The second one, Purgatory, the main chunk of the film, 
takes place in Sarajevo. There is a kind of roving group of intellectuals who we follow who are preparing to speak at this conference, uh, Godard being one of them. Uh, he gives a fantastic lecture about shot, reverse shot. And uh, then the third segment is Paradise. And we get a little glimpse of what heaven looks like through the eyes of Godard, through the eyes of Olga, the French-Israeli journalist character. Well, Seamus, let me let me start with you because I feel like this one might be a, a, a wee bit contentious. Uh, what was your reaction to this one? I, I am wondering, I have not listened to all of the back catalog uh, as much as I would <laughs> like, but is this the first extended clip after hours where the guest did not enjoy the film? Probably. It's gotta yeah. be because the guest usually brings it. I think this is the first time we've ever like really like had a positive, negative thing with a guest. Like I think we generally like, maybe to a lesser extent, what the guest brings, but we'll see how we hash this out. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I think I think it might be a good it might be a good place to start on a, on a, on a, on, a, on a nice foot here. Um, we could start with the <laughs> segment that universally is beloved, I think, in this group. Um, hell, fantastic. Oh, yeah. truly and honestly, when I when I saw the first twenty minutes of this film. I was just absolutely blown away because I had not seen um, late period Godard ever. And from mm. this, like, I can definitely see, um, uh, like, why you love it so much, Eddie. Because um, I had seen, I, well, that's not, that's not necessarily true. I had seen uh, Je vous, je vous uh, salue, Sarajevo, um, yeah. which is... Uh, the but that's two, like 10 years before this one. Yeah, this is ten, 10 years before and it's only two minutes long. But I remember that being one of my favorite short films, like, ever. Um, the use like it's it's really 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 good and he kind of expands the kind of t the techniques that he uses in that one blows it up in intensity uh, in this one um I, I mean from frame one it takes a really uh striking uh, striking way of going about it I mean I don't even know if it's real or if it's fake but it's this woman who appears to be just drenched in blood and the yeah. camera is fuzzy and you can't quite make out any features but you just know it's quite graphic and there are these scattered scenes of real life battles that are happening um in the former uh, yugoslavia and combined with cinematic depictions of atrocities that are not that resulted in the same types of fatalities and brutality but are you know they're from uh, cowboy movies, for for example. Yeah. So they're very um, they have they have a certain air about them that is not proper. But it's all propped up against this in some in some cases just musicless, um, just just this deeply unsettling atmosphere. And I what I really 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 liked about this um, was the use of sound design. Um, it, this wasn't um, the most high quality copy. I think it's like something like 480p, the one that I watched. But my God, it's mixed amazingly. Like it, it's it almost is like a horror film. Where yeah. no, Godard's use of the Dolby surround in his late period is ridiculous. Oh my God, it's the it's films so good. with HD transfers. It comes out even more. And seeing something like Goodbye to Language in a theater with Dolby surround Oof. broke my head. Like I had a headache five minutes in, and it was the worst headache I ever had in a movie theater. <laughs> but it was also one of the best experiences of my life, probably. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, there, there's. It's kind of difficult to describe, but like the usage of cutting out the sound before. Um, I want to say Olga's voice comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just very striking. I saw, um, in a, like, there's an example of this in uh, The Guilty, which is a Danish film that came out a couple of years ago that really uses this technique well. And I always love when films do it because it's very rare. And it, it's just... But, again, but in that film, it was just used for dramatic effect. But in this, it just kind of heightens... You know, you get goosebumps. You're wondering, like, what are the images that you're going to see next? And mm -hmm. it also plays at the frame rate so that your anticipation of the next shot is kind of thrown off a little bit and it makes you a little bit uneasy. Like, yeah, I, I can't sing enough praises about it. Like based on that segment, I thought this film was going to be just like into the stratosphere. Amazing. <laughs> like I was, I was pumped. I thought this was amazing. I thought that that segment was amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, hey, JT, Malcolm, what, what did you guys think about this? No, I, yeah, I really like the, the, <clears throat> the first uh, segment a lot. And like with these late period Godard films, 
um, maybe more so than you know his previous work. I, it really gets me thinking of like the sequencing of images and you know what what it means to have a, an image follow another one, and like a, I mean yeah this in a you know a very you know accessible way I feel like the first uh, uh, part this first segment really does that you know especially the cross cutting between uh, you know real life atrocities and the Hollywood ones and then you can kind of see how Hollywood reflects on it you see a goofy uh, you know white actor in like a Native American face. And stuff like that and kind of like you know you kind of because i know i you know i'm not as uh, well studied as you eddie when it comes to godard but i know he has like a uh a sentiment that like the movies kind of failed in their depiction of war right yeah or something like that i mean that's kind of the the project behind his histoire du cinema uh yeah. and seamus if you want to take a dive into late period godard uh it's daunting but since you like long ass movies by french guys uh histoire du cinema uh histoire du cinema might be the one to go with how how long is it it is well it was made over the course of 10 years it's like five different parts uh because he just kind of released it in installments on french television but i think it's about five to six hours maybe I'm, i'm liking what i hear it's purely essayistic. It's purely like the opening montage of this film. Fantastic. Uh, and it also has images of him at a typewriter pondering, uh, which is great, <laughs> of course. I'm into it. The very first three images in this film are the classic Tumblr qu- Tumblr core uh, Godardism of all you need to make a movie is a girl and a gun. Uh, you have the image of the woman bleeding on the street. And then you have an image of a gun on a car passing through. And then you have the classic French introductory card, visa de control, number, blah, blah, blah. Uh, girl, gun, movie. And that's also from D.W. Griffith. You know, not that Godard invented that dictum. Uh, Godard dislikes Griffith a lot. Uh, because sometimes the images are more strong than the ideology. <laughs> <laughs> Late period Godard is like... I think some of the top, like top tier and best stuff, especially in its examination of like digital versus film and what that transition means. And like, he's doing like the most intelligent work on that front. And each time I I see a new one, I'm really blown away, but I love like in this one in particular, how he'll be able to like, get so granular and focused on small details, but then also like muse out like big things like he'll, he'll hyper focus on like specific conflicts or specific moments, but then like we'll be more broadly sort of grappling with like, is there, are we ever going to be able to uh, reconcile with the atrocities of the past and like sort of, the joy of watching his movies are seeing him work through that in front of you. And I think with this, like with him and like another, like really like beautiful and like interesting intellectual thread that's going through this is like, um, the like relationship between like real images and like fake images. And you're seeing that, like very directly presented to you at that point that you you mentioned Eddie where Godard is talking about shot reverse shot and he's like really like engaging with the viewer on like sort of his thought process on it and he's putting it all out there and like Godard is like it's crazy because it's like he's so fun and free spirited and like it doesn't come across as like pretentious like he's able to like work through a lot of very difficult intellectual concepts in like an innovative and exciting way where I feel like I'm working through like thinking something out with him. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of pleasure and a lot of it, deep thinking. In terms of the approach to montage in this opening segment, and we should move on quickly because this is only a few minutes. Seamus, you said 20 minutes earlier. It's under 10 minutes. Are you serious? Segment. Oh, wow. I mean, it didn't, it didn't feel long because it was bad. Like, it's so much like it's really no it just compressed. packs so yeah. much fucking stuff in there and so there's a combination of what godard attempts uh 
through cumulative effect and over time and like classic like Eisensteinian montage theory, you know, like there's the classic A image plus B image. The cut is the C image. And so you think about that. Some of these cuts in this opening montage, you have the monkeys in the water because there's a couple of like uh, nature footage pieces in here. So you have some monkeys like climbing through water and then you have American troops in Vietnam, uh, you know, climbing through water in a very similar way. And then you have a cut from, you know, this molten lava to bodies at a concentration camp. Uh, And it's just stuff like this. Like you have a presidential motorcade and then you have an obscured Arab man with a gun. What the C image is exactly is always obscured because he never lets on, like, except for when he's very clearly making a point, he never lets on. And it's more about the cumulative effect that arises from the montage. Also, the contradiction of sound and image, which he goes on to talk about. Uh, there's a woman describing seeing beheadings in the Middle East. She's saying, talking about like, I can't believe the beheadings here. It's, you know, something along those lines. She's, uh, and she says, I can't believe so many uh, others survive. And as we see that, we see the end of Kiss Me Deadly which is like where, you know, the secret that's been like maybe a MacGuffin the whole movie is really the atomic bomb and the end of the world uh, and that ending playing out over those words, knowing the way that we exoticize beheading footage when we're dropping atomic bombs on people. Uh, it's, it's a really incredible montage. One of Godard's finest achievements in montage in this opening few minutes. On to Purgatory. I've heard of Beavis and Butthead do America, but Jean-Luc Godard does Bosnia. Uh, let's see what happens. Great, great intro. <laughs> He's brought his intellectual friends with him. <laughs> We're introduced to the segment with a train in the snow after we see the word purgatory. Uh, a train passing through the snow with a giant Stella Artois banner on it. And we know that we're in the modern world, or at least as it was in 2004. We see people meeting at the airport, and right away, in, in addition to the first segment subverting what shot reverse shot means, the way he uses motion in those cuts, this also subverts what shot reverse shot means as the quote-unquote coverage of the scene is as wacky as you could possibly get you know just trying to avoid a traditional hollywood style wide shot shot reverse coverage uh, just as hard as he can and the ideas that he comes up with for staging and camera placement just always baffle me uh, no matter what the characters are saying no yeah that is that is something that really stands out in this sequence in terms of like trying to parse out you know mise-en-scene and stuff like that and it is like you get a lot of uh a lot of people spouting ideas kind of put in like a i don't know it's kind of a an alienating matter and like um you know it's you could you you pair that with kind of like this uh this uh, abandoned church you know a lot of the settings um especially you know the abandoned church that you know we see just people walking around into you know it really does live up to that name purgatory this is kind of uh what maybe you would imagine purgatory to be like yeah the uh the abandoned church where the guy is writing and then you see the two younger intellectuals like hugging a pile of books before the native american characters enter it's so decrepit and looks like the the location from last house on dead end street where they shoot the first <laughs> snuff film <laughs> and you just get this like duo of native americans citing something i don't know uh talking about you know uh what white people did to their land and uh this guy's just you know he's just writing he's just absorbing it and i guess it's kind of a microcosm of godard's creative process as he's reading this sometimes radical sometimes just historical stuff and just processing that through filmmaking and form and style and montage uh it's just always if not successful, confounding, uh, and if not confounding, then just fucking one of a kind. Yeah, and I mean, th- this is kind of where th- this was the segment. Unfortunately, uh, despite all the praises you were heaping on Eddie, this is the segment that really kind of soured it for me. It's because it has a lot of those interesting um, subversions of um, cinematography tropes and all of that. But the issue is, it, like, it's where you're talking about with the Native American thing. 
is that Godard has so many things that he wants to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. just tons of it. And he's trying to fit it in in a very, very short amount of time. I think this is like 79 minutes long, this movie. It's a little over 80, yeah. A little over 80, yeah. And and it's, it's more frustrating just because he clearly has a lot of things to say. And a lot of those things that he wants to say are pretty compelling. But then... As soon as he's got out what he wants to say, it's on to the next thing. Um, he's got it like he can't stay too long about Native Americans being dispossessed of their land. He has to talk now about Palestine. Um, we don't have enough time to talk about Palestine. We need to talk about um, being disconnected uh, from your land uh, in France and losing your language. Um, uh, talking about not not having just a conversation, but a just conversation, uh, like <laughs> which is of course a play on and uh, a dictum often used in Histoire du Cinema that he flashes as a title card, which is uh, not a just image, but just an image. Of course, classic Godardism. Yeah. <laughs> like like it's got it's got like so many things that I really want him to delve into, but he. It, it just frustrates me because um, he's he's really able to do a lot of great things in short form, and he's able to do a lot of great things in long form. But when he's kind of in the middle, I don't know. I think I think he just kind of loses his form there, which which upsets me pretty greatly. Okay, I I understand where you're coming from because it is not a film with like one specific thesis. I would say it maybe has four or five, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. and it, it, it's. I, I think I like that cavalcade of ideas because that's the only way he knows how to represent thought, if not in those short bursts that are very dedicated, like Je vous salue Sarajevo, or even in the darkness of time, which is like very all over the place. Uh, still within those 10 minutes accomplishes so much. And I think that this is kind of extension of that Histoire du Cinema project. And I didn't get to quite talking about what that was all about, but I don't know. From my perspective, uh, basically all of Godard from about 88 when he starts Histoire du Cinema is about cinema's failure to reckon with the lowest points of human history, uh, especially those lowest points of human history that have happened within cinema's history, within that 100-year margin. Um, I, I've heard people you know, dismissed that thesis, you know, a uh, friend of the show. He's been on the show, Will Sloan. We love him. Uh, he doesn't like Histoire du Cinema because he thinks, you know, it boils down to cinema failed because we didn't properly, you know, uh, document the Holocaust. Uh, and to me, I think that that being just like an everlasting quest of investigating representation uh, to a man like Godard, who only knows images, and then became a guy who started getting into ideology about eight years into his career, uh, and has been reckoning with that ever since, uh, is just always fascinating to me. And that push and pull, the complications of it, the incoherence at times, I think is what builds to his strength. But it's, I think, the Histoire du Cinema thesis is kind of the thesis of everything from 1988 onward, uh, where it's really just about if his whole career is dedicated to the moving image, then what is he supposed to do about human suffering? Yeah, and, and like yeah. Th- this this whole this whole discussion that we're having, like it's also what continues to piss me off about this movie, is because <laughs> he kind of wants like like the the scene that kind of sticks out in my mind about why. I didn't like it was the moment where uh, Mahmoud Darwish comes in. I was kind of surprised mm-hmm. that they got Mahmoud Darwish to be in this movie. Um, Palestinian national poet, um, highly lauded, uh, highly controversial as well. Um, and his whole thesis about um, like Detroit deserved to be destroyed because it had no poetry. But mm-hmm. the but his but the issue is that we don't know if Troy had poetry because it was so thoroughly destroyed, and there is al- there's also this discussion about um, that is that uh, Israel needs Palestine for its propaganda, um, that it it gives it a purpose in some way, um, but the issue is that because um, Godard has such an eclectic. Um, way of going about things that he desperately wants to get through all these theses and he wants to investigate other things but 
I it, what I what I really had a problem with is that by kind of shortening it up and getting out all the sound bites that he wants to uh, out of Darwish, it makes it sound not what Darwish is saying. Like he's like it it mm. it, it some it somehow makes it sound like Darwish is saying that Palestine and Israel need each other that there's an interdependency, <laughs> which is not what he says at all. Um, he, he said many poems of that, that effect, and it, it's, I know, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think on that point, my reading of it at least, is that entire exchange, like the Israel needs Palestine thing, is just about how the world perceives those two countries. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when the Tel Aviv journalist makes the remark, we are your propaganda uh, ministry, that's kind of literal. Like, that mm-hmm. is the only, re- the, at least in the West... Uh, that is the only thought that Westerners give Palestine is in relation to Israel. And I think that's an interesting line of thought to like investigate, I guess. But as you said, uh, Godard has so many things on his mind. He doesn't have that much time for investigation. But I think that posing that question is enough. But I understand where a lot of viewers maybe wouldn't arrive at any sort of productive reading out of that scene, which I agree is probably the most like willfully obscured one and it also feels like it's Godard reappropriating his work in the way that he does with the composers that he often uses in his films and Howard Hawks and all the classic filmmakers he uses he just happened to get this guy on camera yeah I think think that's a good point that's I mean it just kind of ties back lots of really compelling questions that I desperately want just like maybe like five or ten more minutes like maybe if it was just a little bit longer and he got a little bit longer to investigate them, I would have thought this was a lot better. But you know, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. Yeah, I feel like I mean, there's this like a you know to use maybe a, a, what could be perceived as a negative term, but like a scatterbrain quality to Godard's work has always kind of been there, like in his like writing and stuff like that. It, like uh, yeah, he has an overactive mind or whatever. And then <laughs> I, I get I get the the appeal of you know wanting to get down. Let's really investigate the issues. But I guess what kind of, I don't know. I think part of um, what kind of appeals me to these late Godard projects is kind of like um, how active he wants, you know, your mind to get, you know, how many questions he puts forth and how, how you know, not only those ideas are being put forth, but the, how they're visually represented. And then like, I don't know, like even... Even like how uh, once Godard goes into that, you know, school teaching segment, you know, it's kind of been, he's, you know, doing reverse shot, you know, con uh, Israel, Palestine shot reverse. And like, uh, that's almost like a meta comment on like the, the previous, you know, minutes of the film itself. So it's, I don't know. It's just, I feel like he's, it's like, it's like a, a big fucking energy drink that I'm drinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, I feel like mind the... working in overtime. The deployment of and subversion of shot reverse shot throughout the whole film builds up to the moment where Godard explains it in the lecture. Yeah, yeah. And so everything before it is called into question. Uh, the scene that we were just discussing, it takes place at a Holiday Inn in Sarajevo. That's where you're going to you know, solve the conflict. And it's first presented in, at these obscure angles in pure shadow. But then after three or four cuts, it falls directly into shot reverse shot but with a TV cameraman also in the frame. <laughs> and it's like still finding ways to subvert it and saying, okay, we'll give you shot reverse shot, but know that this is basically an on the record dialogue. This isn't a, this isn't the just conversation that they wanted to have. This is, you know, a, a dialogue to be published and to be witnessed on television or whatever. Yeah. And then even how the, the people, you know, the people in the class, like, I love like kind of the visual detour we take there where we, you know, kind of just gleam over the faces and they don't seem to be get what is being said or are particularly interested either. You yeah, know they're I laughing mean? at him. That's yeah. what I like about like uh, Godard is that like he's able to like probe uh, intellectually in such a scatterbrained and like I feel like organic way to like, I don't know how natural human thought process is where you'll like sort of muse on something and then it will lead you to another point in that that path but he's never like self-serious about it like he's like obviously like asking serious questions and like talking about legitimate things and i think deals with that with like the appropriate tone but he's also like aware of his positioning is just like just like a fucking filmmaker asking these questions and that's why i love when i see 
his goofy ass in his own movies because he's yeah. like willing to like have that interplay with his own image where he's like kind of like uh, will be a little bit of a joke at points. Yeah, I mean the Godard lecture is really what ties the fi- really ties the film together, man. Uh, <laughs> it's just like I don't know, she- Seamus. What did you think about that portion of the Purgatory segment? I, I thought it was a nice grounding. I mean, I I thought like I'm a, I'm a sucker for meta movies. I mean, Kiaro Stami is my favorite, and I thought nice. I saw shades of close up in this where he's talking when he's really drawing attention to. Um, like the techniques that he's using and trying to subvert them, um, I, I, this isn't, this isn't really isn't a drawback because I appreciate what it, what it was, but I just wish there was kind of more extremely meta stuff like that. I thought yeah. I thought that was really neat. <laughs> um, it, I, I think that lecture is really incredible. Uh, just it's supposed to be about the the text and the image, you know, but it really just becomes about shot reverse shot. And he shows a shot reverse shot from a Hawks movie where he says that Hawks doesn't understand the difference between men and women, which is why these images are the same. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Which is yep. as good yeah. of a praise as how of Howard Hawks as you can give, honestly. Like if you think about the framework of Hawks cinema, it's both about being with the boys and including the girl who basically is a boy who Hawks wants to have sex with. <laughs> <laughs> The girl who's not afraid to, you know, be a mechanic or something yeah. like that. Yeah, the Hoxian yeah. dame, dude. Yeah. The Hoxian dame is, come on. Come on, man. We've all felt absolutely, TFW, absolutely. no Hoxian dame GM. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's also funny, too, how, like, Godard kind of frames himself as maybe speaking about things that maybe people don't necessarily care about, which is why I also <laughs> value it. Because it is, like, the pressing concerns on Godard's mind are so different than of any other filmmaker. Even those who are political and experimental, it seems like he's kind of created his own language in that sense. And it's it, it's funny just to like I don't know. It's like like you know he's always trying to reckon with you know how the uh, the Holocaust was depicted in you know in movies where most directors like could give less of a, a fuck. So it's just it's just it's, well, just it's funny. also yeah yeah the dichotomy of him you know caring that much being that much of a care lord uh, (laughs) about the depiction of the holocaust and being as feverently anti-zionist as he is is kind of the contradiction that drives his whole like political project in his late period like it's it's difficult (laughs) and you know as a as a jewish american i understand that it's difficult and i understand that maybe Godard doesn't like me <laughs> Goes okay. to Godard, Godard at a fan signing, and he's just he takes a look at him. He's like, no. <laughs> he snubs me like fucking Agnes Varda. <laughs> no, I do not want to associate with women or Jews. So, all right, all right. Let's 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 you know what? Because this is this is something people talk about when they talk about late Godard. Why why did why did he pick that picture of the Jewish man that looked a little? You know when he when he put up Jew and like that, that it was Jewish? shot reverse shot and then he okay. showed a Muslim. Yeah, he showed a Muslim <laughs> not... Okay, so he's a, he's an equal opportunity offender. I'm not racist. I, like I hate everyone. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> just playing with a little bit of you know you're just using it as a device. You know, just throw it in there. I like it. Yeah, and he includes the quote or the facts speak for themselves. Not for much longer. Dramatic pause. That was in 1936. <laughs> great, great dramatic uh, moment there from Godard. Uh, but the the cornerstone of this lecture is, of course, the Israel and Palestine shot, reverse shot. You know, as he shows two images of men in water, uh, one in black and white, one in color. And he says, uh, you know, in 1948, the the Israelites walked into the water to reach the Holy Land, and the Palestinians walked in it to dr- to drown. And uh, the image of the Israelis is fiction, the image of the Palestinians documentary, because the Holy Land is fiction and death is real, according to him, at least. Hey, I'm just I'm just the messenger. Pretty know? Zionist <laughs> listening. We don't mean to offend you. Yeah. We're breaking down the facts. <laughs> <laughs> we're just keeping an open mind here and we're asking questions. But it wraps up quite beautifully talking about this with 
a image of a light bulb kind of swinging back and forth in the darkness as he says, you know, shot, reverse shot, imaginary certainty, real uncertainty, the principle of cinema, go towards the light and shine it on our night, our music, or notre musique. Oh, fantastic R, fantastic R. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's just like, I don't know. I moments like that where he's going from the brash, cynical criticism to the poetry of cinema is just like it's it's that's what I live for, man. I don't know. I I don't know how to not use platitudes about it, but it's the best. <laughs> we love that whiplash. We love you know. Yeah. We love that kind of uh, that you know feeling that things could just kind of uh, turn. You know, I mean, you know, watching these late Godard movies, you really have. I really have no idea going in, like, you know, what's it going to be like? And as, as you watch it, you know, that, that feeling still stays with you. As we go to the next, like, sub-segment of this, uh, Seamus, you want, you want to tell us a little bit about this bridge in Mostar? Uh, ooh, am I, do I know about the Mostar bridge? Oh, I, I'm sorry, do I, I don't. <gasps> this, do this I might... school you? <laughs> The, the, please do school me, please. Uh, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> it's not really that, you know. It's a, it's a. I mean, they they talk about it in the little lecture that the school teacher is giving the kids, and uh, it's it was broken down to me in uh, a, a lecture a long time ago, uh, actually, as a, a bridge that was seen as a bridge between civilizations, you know, between uh, I guess the Middle East and eastern europe or southeastern europe i guess i i don't know quite where that bridge would be but it was seen as a bridge of uh, a bridge between civilizations and then we see a low quality image of the bridge's destruction uh and then we see this lecture uh in a children's classroom and then we see the rebuilding of this bridge and uh yeah i, I don't know that much history i thought maybe you knew knew a bunch of shit about it but you know I'm sorry that the the veil has been broken on this one. Um, yeah, no, but I, I I I see I do see like this the symbology was pretty was pretty obvious from it. I thought I thought that yeah. was kind of neat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you get the image of the Israeli journalist taking a digital photograph of the rebuilding of the you know new bridge. And hey, what does it mean? Heck, if I know. Uh, <laughs> Godard's anti-digital statement, you know, just uh, fake cameras capturing fake history. <laughs> no, I don't think that's what <laughs> uh, The last segment of the purgatory is a discussion on what is uh, framed as the last philosophical issue, uh, that of suicide. Frankly, that seems kind of a bummer, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to think about that stuff. Um... <laughs> And like yeah, his like his you know his penchant for like the the alienating like mise en scene especially is felt here once you you know talking to the the nitty gritty about uh killing yourself. Yeah, and uh, he he then goes back to the train station and uh, a woman who was shooting a film Olga gives her uh, gives him rather or through another person Godard gets her CD which has a film on it. And of course, if you look at the CD close enough, it's one of those classic Godard title cards and it just says Notre Musique. And he, you know, looks at her reflection in it and he's looking at his own reflection, but we just see the reflection, the CD reflecting the, uh, the cover art of her face. And it's a really beautiful moment where he just kind of considers this film and then closes it. <laughs> and then he goes back to his garden in gay Paris and uh, he gets a call that she held a movie theater hostage in Jerusalem, or at least attempted to, and said that, you know, if one Israeli dies for peace, uh, then, you know, I'll let the rest of you go. But everyone left, and then the cops came, or a marksman came, and shot her, and her bag was full of books. And then you think back to Godard looking at the reflection of his own image and just see you know the camera just showing her own face that's me bro that's what he's saying uh, <laughs> it's, it's honestly uh it's a really touching scene i don't know it's uh i i found it quite touching uh i'm i'm going to slightly disagree 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what, what's the what's the what's the real world consequences? Why is this bad? Why am I wrong? Uh, no, it's not necessarily bad. It's just I think I've seen a lot of films about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and they, there's this always this kind of this plea for peace, and I agree. Peace would be great, but it's just, what's unfortunate is that it just kind of, it ties back into my original criticism, that there's not enough discussion about the things that Godard wants to discuss himself. And peace is kind of, it's interesting as an abstract concept if you're not, like, if you haven't, you're not super involved in it. But once you're super involved in it, and you realize that peace as an abstract is not really possible, it just kind of... It's less impactful. Um, yeah. I, I mean, guess. he's been going at it for a long time. I, w- I would recommend, for one, that he actually is there. Uh, he made a movie called Here and Elsewhere during his Ziga Vertov group period, uh, or ECAIU or, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> him and Jean-Pierre Gorin uh, went to Palestine and basically just shot a documentary there for a few weeks and then staged uh, scenarios for like a French family after uh, oh, to do basically... Mm-hmm an exercise in montage. Uh, it's it's really fascinating. Yeah. Huh. But he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt on the pleas for peace that you hear everywhere. No, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's remotely malicious <laughs> or at all. Like, like, like even, I just, it's just a very tired trope at this point. Um, yeah, but the no, but very it. minor, very, very minor criticism. I assure you. Um, but then it's paradise. JT, would you like to live in this version of paradise? I mean, it's sweet. Like, people are chilling, like, hanging with dogs. There are a little bit too many, like, army and navy guys for my comfort. But, like, uh, it's it's out in the woods. I'd like, I'd but, smoke a joint there. Yeah, it'd be a great, great smoke spot. That was the first thing that came to mind. Um, but, you know, what is what is paradise? What is peace? What is, you know, utopia without safety? You know, wow. so maybe <laughs> maybe consider that. Um, wow. wow. Um, but also, True yeah, respecting Malcolm, <laughs> you know me, I was, you know, I was in the war. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, res- I respect troops, man. I am. I, I was in the war myself. But um, so I, but it's like, yeah, like I like the kind of just the pleasant, you know, sharing an apple. Um, there's something a little bit uneasy about it, of course, with like all the, the armed guards. But uh you know, I mean, I, I don't know if God, can Godard even envision a straight laced vision of heaven? I, no, ooh, exactly. It's yeah, a man yeah. who is whose religion is uh, basically American culture, like films and books. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, obviously his version of heaven is going to be tainted with that. Although his version of heaven is, you know, beautiful scenery, a tracking shot without judgment, because everyone knows the classic, you know, Godard <laughs> tracking shot, capo, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's just a beautiful tracking shot through all this greenery and then leading to the ocean. You see someone doing like fire stick twirling or some shit like that. Fire. And people are reading pulp novels. And uh, yeah, the American military is there. But it's kind of the concession you have to make when you're as big into classic Hollywood as you are uh, or as Godard is, you know, and you saw those World War Two propaganda movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am a big fan of like really stripped down uh, depictions of heaven. And that first initial shot when Olga is just kind of like trawling through that greenery, I thought that was probably the best shot in the film, honestly. Yeah. It was so... It's so great. It's so peaceful. Like, I mean, the, the scene, the, the like the entire segment is great, but I feel like it kind of loses a little bit of the charm once it becomes clear there are other people there. I felt it would have been just a lot better if it was that level of mysteriousness that mm. theoretically this forest of greenery could go on forever. And it was very just, I hate to use this word constantly, but just kind of at peace with itself. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was really nice after the constant stress of the, especially the first segment, but also just uh, the flurry of concepts and topics that are being talked about in the second one. And I love how it ends with now you have a female narrator, which you haven't had before, but you see, you're kind of cued into seeing those two characters reading American pulp novels, like uh, kind of crime novels, and uh, <clears throat> one of them being Street of No Return. And so you almost get this like noir type di- monologue, which I think would be Olga's voice uh, at the very end as she closes her eyes saying, 
It was a fine, clear day. You could see a long way off, but not as far as Olga had gone. Which, I mean, that's beautiful. That's no, great. It's great. That's straight yeah. out of 1943. Like, that's so perfect for yeah. an ending. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm I obsessed with this movie. Seamus, did we did we even do a little bit of helping you gain some appreciation? I, 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 will, I, will admit, I will admit the extended clip crew did make me realize I liked it a little bit more than I initially did. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that I invited you to talk about a movie that you didn't find pleasurable. <laughs> I thought I, I mean I, I did enjoy the discussion that came out of it. Just yeah, I guess it was a, it was a, it's always a gamble. It's always yeah. a gamble, man. I mean, yeah. in, ter- in terms of like late term Godard, I feel like after one viewing, this is definitely the one I have uh, less of a grasp on than compared to like um, in praise of love, film socials, and goodbye to 3D. So I don't, you know, I liked it, but you know, it's it's still, you know, it took me a little bit to to grasp onto it. You know, get mm. got to get on the ride. I mean, with like most like Godard or like any Godard, it's like something I like. I feel like I need to see at least like one more times or a few more times mm. to have like a firmer grasp on. But I uh, really loved it. It has like I don't know, asks a lot of very interesting questions and probes all over the place, and like I think. Uh, like gets less into like the notion of like digital cinema than like other late Godard uh, does, but it like just, it, it just, just the tip of it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I think it, uh, um, it, like it is very interesting there, especially with the way he like will degrade images in the first half. And that so yeah. like, he makes them so beautiful by destroying them. Just the tip is perfect way to, to put it because, you know, in the classroom sequence, they ask him, you know, will digital cameras save cinema? Godard gives him just the tip and he leaves. You know, he doesn't quite answer, doesn't quite answer gives, that question. He gives him the hi-hat. He yeah. gives him a straight hi-hat on him. <laughs> uh, Seamus, any final thoughts on this movie? Um, I, I just, all there's so many good elements in here. Um, what, one of the worst things I think a film can do is tell you that it's very good. It can be very good, but then not deliver on the good that it clearly shows. Um, but I do appreciate it a little bit more after having this discussion than I initially did. I will nice. say that much. Well, I'm glad we could convince you. I'm, I'm sorry again. <laughs> uh, uh, freaking top 10 podcast fails. Oh my God. <laughs> No, it's, a, it's good to have a little bit of discourse. We haven't of really course. had that before. So, you know, let's flex that muscle. We're too much of let's a high mind. We, we love each other and all agree and just like, yeah. it's, we need to, we <laughs> I need feel like conflict. the last time we disagreed was that Fellini episode. That was like one of, that was like the third episode. <laughs> we haven't disagreed since then. <laughs> it was Metropolitan and our boy Will. Oh, Metropolitan mm. too. Oh God. Don't even bring him up. Fucking what? He's treating me like shit lately. Yeah, I was going to say, fucking no, more, chop liver. no more discussion about Whit Stillman. He's off the docket. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, he went, on some other, he went on some other film podcast after like trolling us for a year. <laughs> Come on, yeah, man. I thought we, we had something special, man. Come on. We did have something special. <laughs> All right, Seamus, thank you so much for coming on. Um, if people hear this, you know, at a different time than, you know, right after the main feed, do you want to do you want to plug your outlets once again? Uh, of course. Um, I have a sub stack where I talk about I mean, if you listen to this episode, you're probably interested in it. Uh, Middle Eastern affairs. Um, I talk about Saudi Arabia. I talk about Iran. I talk about all the crazy stuff in there that you won't hear about in English language news sources. Um, five bucks a month gets you all of that, um, right into, uh, your email inbox. Um, and of course I am hoping that Eddie will have it in the, uh, the show description. Okay. I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a benevolent guy. What a good guy. Hey, so Seamus, I have a question. Yes. Let's say someone discovers extended clip in like two years and then they pay for the Patreon and they go to the back catalog. They get to this episode they still they, they still build in that line city probably probably okay <laughs> they're gonna build in that for fucking eternity <laughs> cool, cool. all right so go go read about the line it's crazy <laughs> that that's gonna do it any, any final thoughts from the boys before we sign off um you know long live godard i hope he lives uh another few years you know i i've kind of been At thrown least. this around 
yeah, at least let's say more 20. I want 30. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, this is a concept I've been toying with. Maybe, maybe people will like it. I've been, you know, a sense I, I'll say it's like Godard and Clint Eastwood. They never had to compromise when it came to their movies. One of the few people mm. in cinema history who never compromise. So, uh, hats off to Godard. Listeners well, that's out why there, they're the I, two icons of the podcast. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's why I tell the, I tell the listeners to never compromise in life. Because <laughs> <laughs> see where it can lead you. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. That's why it's the Jean-Luc Godard, Chris Kyle studios that only I am in tonight, but that the three boys have blessed for the last oh, 18 yeah. months or so. JT, any final words for the people? Um. Well, I mean, after Malcolm gave a, a lovely impassioned speech, about not compromising. I figured for the next next Patreon episode that we do, we finally compromise with the fans. I like I remember we got an email recently about like, "Oh, why don't you guys like anime?" One, we're not nerds or losers. Um and so <laughs> and, and so um my compromise with the fans is I am picking a film by a director that traditionally does anime. And uh, I think this movie is about a director uh, making an anime film. It's Talking Head um, by Mamoru Oshii. And uh, I've heard it's good. I'm curious to see what we all think about it. Talk, wait, Talking Heads? I thought that was uh, uh, directed by Chris Hardwick. I thought that was the show. <laughs> oh, where where they talk about getting their dick sucked? Out <laughs> What's up, nerds? <laughs> I made my wife suck my dick today. <laughs> yeah, that, I always love that. I always love tuning into that. So I'm excited to watch that for the go back. There's like an episode of IFC's Marin about how he. <laughs> acts like an asshole on talking head <laughs> yeah chris i just got my dick sucked what of <laughs> why do you host this thing i again my dick sucked it's not a big what deal is to this me. <laughs> what is this a nerd thing and a sex thing <laughs> Any, anyone who's seen ifc's marin will remember that there is an episode dedicated to him going on one of chris hardwick's talk shows <laughs> <laughs> Now that you can't see on streaming services anymore, they've uh, scrubbed and removed it. So that's gone. <laughs> <laughs> they took Chris Hardwick out of every scene he was in. All right. Well, if I'm going to say anything to close out tonight, you know, if you've seen the path that Chris Hardwick's taken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the path. <laughs> all I'm going to say is it's not the path I would take. That is all I'm going to say. You make your own decisions. I love you so much. Thank you so much for the $2. Or if your friend pays the $2 and sends you the RSS. I know there's a couple of you out there, uh, which is fine. It's fine. It's like there's 40 of you. I know at least five of you give it to five of your friends, but I I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually like that. I like so that because I've changed cool. the rules. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, no matter who you are listening to this, I love you. Sweet, sweet baby. <laughs> uh, good night. 